What up, what up, Meepsters? This is Ryan Rainbro, and if you're hearing this, that means you're about to listen to one of the 99 free episodes of the Meep Meep podcast available wherever you cast pods. But keep in mind that there are new and unreleased episodes of the show on patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. So you'll want to sign up there to hear future episodes and also other side projects like Choo Choo, the show about soundtracks and contribute suggestions for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. Bye! Welcome to Meet Meet, the Roadrunner podcast, where we go through the albums of Roadrunner Records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influenced. Let's roll. What up, what up, Meepsters? I'm Ryan Rainbow, and this episode we're celebrating 30 years of death metal devastators Immolation and their debut album, Dawn of Possession. And Immolation haven't let dust come on their career since then because their new album, Acts of God, is on the horizon. We're fortunate enough to hear from the immortals themselves, Bob and Ross, but not Bob Ross, about making Dawn of Possession in Germany, no less, with producer Harris Johns, getting on Roadrunner, getting off Roadrunner, and how their latest work connects to their origin story of this album all the way back in 1991. It's too late for an exorcism because the possession starts now. You know, how did you even get connected with Roadrunner? Because you guys are at the, the forefront, the cutting edge. You know, the bands that I love and think of when I think of Roadrunner, they are either just coming in at the same time as you or they come in a little later. So was Roadrunner a thing that was on your radar or were you a band that was on their radar? You know, how did that happen? I think we were more on their radar than they were on our radar. Correct, Bob? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we just put out demos where I think by our... By our second demo, I don't remember when they actually first got in touch with us. It could have been after the first demo. First so, demo, I think, yeah. You know, a mutual friend of ours sent it to them. Like we, and I think we got a letter from Roadrunner at one point, and we were like, like we were like, yeah, they're not going to sign us. What are, you know, I, I don't know what the letter. I don't remember what that letter said, but I do remember the second letter that we got, and that was from yes. uh, both of them are probably from Monty Connor, who is now with Clear Blast, which is yeah. great. Yeah, basically he sent a letter after our second demo, like, hey, I sent you guys a first letter and you never responded. He's like, this is not any way to go about getting signed, you know? <laughs> and then we're just like, huh, yeah. well, maybe they're interested, you know? <laughs> so it was just yeah. like a weird thing. And um, yeah, eventually we we talked to them and, you know, the rest is history as far as the road running thing goes. But yeah, it was just, we were just a demo band doing our thing, playing local shows. Maybe we played out of state a couple of times, but uh I guess in our eyes, we never imagined that a label like that, especially at, you know, at our age at the time, like, oh, this, you know, we would never be on that label. But, you know, it just seemed like so out of reality. Yeah. So by the by the time they actually got in touch with us and, and, and we realized they were serious and yeah, before we knew it, we were in Germany recording the first records. So, yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. And we still talked to Monty about how that whole thing went down. And 
it's cool now because we used to run into Monty all the time in New York at, at you know different shows, and you know we'd always uh, talk with him about you know the old days, what we're up to. But you know that's that story was one one of the many that would come up from back in those days, you know. So so it was always cool, you know. It was like yeah, we didn't really you know think it was a serious thing when we got the letter from you guys you know like bob said we were just like ah, <laughs> they're not going to be interested in us and then and then lo and behold you know we signed a deal with them and yeah so it was it was it was it was pretty mind-blowing for us at the time because roadrunner seemed so uh, you know um so unattainable for a band like us you know um I guess we had zero confidence in our abilities and, you know, we were just, we were green as green as, uh, you know, hell back then, you know, and just so new to the whole music business, you know, it was a whole new world for us. So we just didn't think something like that was possible. And, you know, apparently it was, so yeah, it was kind of like that. So, and we actually put that letter, we did a, a CD a number of years back, which was just a, a compilation of all our earlier demos. And we did like a huge collage for the inset of that. And we actually put that letter in there, <laughs> that letter from Monty saying, Hey guys, this is not the way to go about getting signed. <laughs> Cause we thought it was just so funny to illustrate yeah. how green we were back then, you know? <laughs> hey, or maybe you were, you were the smart one. You were holding out for a better offer. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know if that happened, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, oh man well yeah since you're saying that uh you know that wasn't even something that you were thinking about getting signed did you even talk to any other labels or you got the offer or the letter from monty and you just went with them um uh, we, i think we did get offered at, at one point we had offers from a few different labels but uh maybe at that time we weren't ready i think we might have gotten contacted by earache at one point possibly nuclear yeah. blast back then but yeah. you know it just things didn't really kind of like come together until i guess the world were you know time yeah which is mostly think, probably our our thing you know what i mean like we weren't quite ready we had like a couple of songs here and there we we had yeah. to write more songs I, I don't think we were prepared for it at the time so we always kind of like pushed it off a little bit yeah and then uh, by the time roadrunner came around i guess at that point we we're like all right i guess you know i guess we gotta you know try and go for this <laughs> you know yeah so. so yeah it was i remember i think um Bigby from Earache was interested for a hot minute around the first demo. And then by the time the second demo came out, he was already onto other stuff. <laughs> you know, yeah. so so we were, you know, we kind of focused on that for a hot minute because uh, you know, we liked all the bands, you know, of uh, you know, they had just signed and tuned, I think, right when we were kind of, you know, hoping to maybe work out something with them. And uh, they already had Carcass and Napalm Death and Morbid <laughs> Angel. So we were looking in that direction. And then we got the letter from Roadrunner and we're like, oh, wow, Roadrunner, you know? So it was like kind of a surprise to us, you know? So it was cool. I mean, everything worked out the way it was meant to in the end. So, you know, no regrets. <laughs> well, you casually just breezed over going to Germany to record the album, but you guys work with the... Uh... Harris Johns, who I know mostly from, I know he did a million things, but Pestilence's Consuming Impulse, he's uh, the producer of that. But um, so you went to Germany, he didn't come to you, and did Roadrunner make that, uh, yeah, that happen? That was that was pretty interesting, especially, you know, we were like, nine, I don't know, we were 20, 19 at the time. 19, and like, yeah, 19, you know, yeah. Turned out, yeah, we're heading to Germany to, for the first time ever to record a record, you know, our first record ever. And uh, yeah, I mean, we had no knew of Harris because of, you know, Boyvod and um, Sodom and uh, you know so many other bands you know the, the thrash German thrash bands that 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 he had produced. So for us to like you know go there was such an interesting experience and to like you know be in the area that we'd seen like say photo shoot you know we'd seen you know oh look Boyvod took their photo shoot on these stairs or you know yeah. whatever and just be in the same you know area and stuff and uh, 
just being in Germany for the first time uh, in Berlin. And, and, and that was cool. The whole experience was just, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think, you know, that was the first time in Germany. We had, we had made yes. one trip to Europe prior to that yep. to go meet with the guys in Entombed and Napalm Death. And, and we went to France and it was like, you know, so it was like a little trip we did. I think that was back in 89. But yeah, yeah. But uh, the album was the first time in Germany. And um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty interesting experience. And uh, yeah, we we went there and it was like, you know, we stayed in the studio. You know, we had like our our, our kind of like, um, you know, uh, apartment right there in the studio. And you walk out of the apartment and make a right and then you go right into the studio. And, and that was it. And uh, we would record in there. We're there for like maybe two or three weeks i mean yeah we were a month, like a the whole month. month yeah back then it was like you know now we're doing albums we, we get that done within two weeks we're done but back then yeah it was like well it would also i think get mixed and everything uh, all in yeah. one shot i believe it did um, yeah he did everything while we were there right so yeah it was it was it was pretty wild though it was really cool cool experience you know doing it yeah, over there. it was great it we were... was amazing Oh, Harris was the man. He was such such a cool, like for us as, as, as uh, we were probably, when did we do that? In 91. So we were like 20, 21 around that time. Yeah, I so think so. For, for young guys, our age, it was, it was really cool that we had a guy like Harris. Cause Harris was, man, he was perfect, man. He was just so chill and laid back and, you know, we didn't feel like pressure you know he was just really cool with us you know what i'm saying i mean we had rehearsed i mean it was our first record so that's all we had to rehearse <laughs> for, for like three years prior to that yeah. so we were pretty tight with the songs and we went in there but yeah he just had a really cool vibe about him man and uh he treated us really well it was a, just such a cool experience and being there like just after kind of the iron curtain came down so a lot of berlin we did this in berlin and you know the wall was still up. You know, yeah. uh, the Berlin it had just been open, but you know, for maybe like I think it came down maybe a year prior or whatever. It yeah, was. and you know, but obviously they didn't take that whole thing down yeah. immediately, so it was everywhere. It was you know, yeah, still still where it stood, except for a few areas. So it was interesting yeah. to see that, and uh, you know, that was very after, cool. The aftermath of that, and yeah. uh, and going back to Harris, Harris was just like you know super cool and like he would take us out to whether it yeah. be dinner or to a club or you know suggest things yeah. to us like he was so accommodating um yeah. where he didn't have to be you know what i mean like he went out of his way to be very accommodating and and kind of yeah. like, you know show us around and stuff so it was uh he would make plans uh like almost every night for us if we wanted you know and he yeah. had a ton of like really cool people that he was tight with in in, in the city of berlin so we would meet new people every night, go out, whether it be to get dinner and go to a club or something. But it was cool. We got to see um, we saw Paradise Lost played over there while we were over on that trip. So we got to check out a show in Berlin, which was cool. Um, yeah, we met. We had a lot of crazy experiences. We met Andreas Marshall like face yeah. to face. That's how we yeah. got him to do our artwork for our covers. Yeah. You know, He was a friend of Harris and Harris just kind of invited him over to the studio one night and. He was showing us some of his work and I was familiar with like some of his, you know, because he did a lot of movie poster work. So he did like Necromantic and he did like Dress the, the cover for like Dress to Kill, the artwork for that. That was an old movie from like the 70s. I'm like, oh, wow. Like I was familiar with a lot of his stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it was lucky, lucky that we met him on that trip because we had a different artist set to do the album cover originally. And we got the artwork and we weren't really pleased with it for, for this release. So we went with Andreas because of that meeting. So it was kind of like, you know, fate kind of brought us together, you know, in Berlin. So that was very cool, you know? Yeah. And, and we also got to go to see, um, Coroner was in the studio at the same time we were, mm -hmm. 
with one of the uh, one of the producers from Morris Sound, one of the Morris uh, brothers was in Berlin at a studio, a different studio, and he was doing one of the corner records. And Harris knew the producer, uh, one of the guys there. So we uh, went over there one night. We met those guys and, uh, you know, got to meet, you know, um, one of the Morris brothers, like I said, who was producing. And yeah, it was it was just cool to experience all that. I mean, we were so young. It was like mind blowing for us just to be in another part of the world to do like a record, you know, something we never thought we would do because <laughs> we had no aspirations of recording records. We were just about, you know, let's record a demo and like play some, you know, local shows, you know? <laughs> so it was kind of a, a lot happened all at once. So it was cool. So you're saying before you recorded the album, the Berlin wall is up after the album is done, the Berlin wall goes down. So, I mean, there's gotta be some sort of cause and effect there. The riffs are what tore the wall down. Now, that's sure. right. That's right. Maybe yeah, we help facilitate it. You know? <laughs> what was left of the wall came down after. Yeah, yeah. so maybe you know, of a lot of a lot of it was already taken down, but there were good portions of it still up. So where we were in the city, it, when we got on the train by the studio to go anywhere, we like kind of run close to the wall. So at one point on the train journey, you would see the wall and how far it went. And it, it kind of went, we went by checkpoint. Charlie was close by the studio. And I remember we saw that when it was still a checkpoint, when they had the guard post there and the wall was still there. Now it's the wall is gone. They only have like the guard post there, you know, and so it's all opened up. So you can't really get the full idea of what that was you know and but it was cool that we got to see that so there were a lot of cool things that we got to experience you know added bonuses you know you know to recording the first album over there you know all these cool little historical things that were happening at the time it's like going back in time that's the best way i could describe it like you've gone from like you know 90s into like the 40s (laughs) you know like instantly it was it was very weird and we had a lot of that around us our studio was like about it's like a six-story building um and harris's studio was on like one whole floor of that building and one day he's like i'm gonna take you guys up to the roof we'll get some cool band shots up there i think you'll like it so you know we were like okay cool you know probably get a good view but we went up there and the whole top floor of the building had been blown off during the war so the walls were still there you know we, we, part of the walls were still up uh, but it wasn't a proper roof it was like the ceiling of the the, the you know the floor below yeah. and they had just tarred over it and we were up there but the walls were still there we're like wow what happened here he's like oh yeah this is from the wall from the war that you know they were able to i guess the building structure wasn't disturbed so the building stayed but top floors were gone <laughs> so it was like kind of crazy and then what else we saw that we saw that train one of the main train stations and all that was left was like the facade and the whole oh, yeah, back yeah. of it was all rubble so we got yeah so we got to see a lot of cool historical stuff like that from world war ii era which was you know super cool for us you know because you know i'm a world mm. kind of history uh nerds you know <laughs> so it was cool uh we were just very fortunate to have had that option you know we had a couple options and you know like bob said we went with harris because harris was the guy that produced the bands that we were inspired with the bands that we were inspired by and the bands that we were listening to and the bands that we kind of came up with you know what i'm saying like you know pleasure to kill from creator and uh, killing technology uh, voivod and so yeah just a ton of classic bands went there that we were like huge fans of so yeah it made sense for us to use harris <laughs> i'm pretty sure we ended up with creators win though on our uh... We did on, on burial ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We used it's the like same we had a little little wind intro, and he's just like, "Oh, this is the one I use for creative." We're like, "Get out!" Oh, it's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> Hi, 
So you're saying that Roadrunner gave you guys a couple different options. It wasn't like you came to them and said, we want Harris Johns. They were like, hey, you can have one of these. Well, they, I think they knew they kind of like were more in tune. You know, like, look, these are the three producers we had in mind. They said, look, these are, they presented like three producers that we were familiar with that other records of bands that we had heard about. So we heard all these guys. So they were like, look, these are the guys, you know, I guess they probably did most of our work with. So to us, it was just, you know, it was three good, you know, good, uh, good thing, good people to select from. It was just a matter of, you know, making the choice of what we, you know, what we preferred, I guess, you know, but I'm sure if we had somebody else in mind that they knew of it was good, it would have been fine. It was just that they, you know, they obviously had a thing going on there where they had producers that they were used to doing business with. So they said, look, these are the guys we normally do business with. What do you think? And we were like, yeah, Harris, you know, we're, we're totally yeah. into it. I mean, it was, they were all great options, but we yeah. were we were just partial to Harris because he was he represented like that vibe that we were going for, and and he did a lot of the bands that we were like, wow, yeah, this we want to go to this guy because he was like you know legendary to us, <laughs> you know. So sure, no, that's that's just awesome. It's such a unique uh, story for for me, just because all of these you know early '90s death metal bands. You know, of course, most of them end up doing it at Morris Sound for Roadrunner, but even yeah. the ones that don't don't necessarily travel to another <laughs> continent to record. Well, yeah, opera. and that's why we were fortunate. Yeah. And 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 actually, uh, Scott Burns was one of the options, and Colin Richardson, I think, was the other option. So, I mean, phenomenal producers. I mean, not by any means any less than you know Harris. I mean, great guys, great producers, but just that it was Harris was the guy we picked for those reasons, you know. And we were really happy we did, man, because. You know, we have a great relationship with him even to this day. We saw him uh, back in 2019 on our last round of touring for Atonement. We did a festival in uh, Germany and he was doing front of house for uh, one of the bands there that he was just doing a couple gigs with. And he's like, yeah, I do live sound once in a while, you know, when, when I feel like it. So it was cool. We just ran into him at the fest. We hung out with him. He's just awesome dude, man. Really cool guy. But even Colin Richardson, who produces albums for Roadrunner, they, you know, he comes to the U.S. They don't send them to to him in the uk so that's, that's I don't, just... I, you know yeah look, i know that when you look at it it is you know it's pretty wild and really yeah. cool that we we're able to do that actually it's a whole different scene now but back then yeah they're like you know you're going to you're going to germany we had to rent a drum kit you know uh, craig our drum at the time oh yeah you know, he wanted like the sonar kit and he what he ordered he got it was like they got a nice sonar yeah. kit for him with the snare that he wanted that he always wanted to play and so it was like it was really cool. I mean, it, we were very fortunate to have that, you know, ability to to be able to do that. You know, it was very cool, both both because of the studio situation and for where we were going and and spending that time and the whole experience was very very cool and very unique. It's also I'm not mad at you guys for getting the opportunity. I just think it's <laughs> it's just wild. It's, uh, well, yeah, I mean that we, was uh, that was unique, and we were we were lucky. We didn't get that second opportunity. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe we ruined it for everybody. <laughs> yeah. That might be it. They were like, "Listen, uh, we we flew them out to Germany, and they didn't even do a second record. So maybe we should just totally. keep it." Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, we'll keep everybody here. You mentioned the original artwork for the album, and also you mentioned that compilation that came out, uh, "Stepping on Angels," that you yes. end up using that artwork for, right? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And without just a play on the fact that those those early days, you're using this early version of the, the artwork. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of it, it fell completely in with the whole idea of that whole release anyway, because it was like it was artwork created for us from our idea that we just didn't happen to you know it suited that very well. It's just that it, it just wasn't what we had in mind um, uh, aesthetically 
you know, from that compilation, the uh, of the rarities or not rare, I guess demos and things like that, you can see that a lot of the songs that are on Donna Possession were uh, already in existence before the album, right? You know, there's sure. only a few uh, newer songs, but I think that that's uh, interesting because I would say the songs that weren't already demoed are the better songs on the album. It seems like you guys were getting better as you were writing more songs. I agree. I agree. Because I think the last ones we wrote for that were like Into Everlasting Fire and Those Left Behind were like like the last two, I think. And those to me are like two of the powerhouses on that record, you know, and they came last. So those are the two best songs on the album. Absolutely. So Into Everlasting Fire is, you know, opens the album and is just the best, you know, representation of the whole record, I think, and one of the better representations of immolation in general. So it's awesome. And uh, an important fact about that song in particular that I think is important to immolation as a whole, especially around that time, is, you know, with death metal, it's a lot of technical prowess, which, of course, this album has, but it's also just kind of a lot of parts. There's not a lot of cohesion to it, and that song, you know, has borderline a chorus. You know, it has a, a, a hook to it that you kind of can come back around to and get attached to, and I think that that's such a special and awesome part of that song, of the songs on this album in general, that make it easily digestible without it being you know dumbed down right no i appreciate that yeah it's um yeah i mean we 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 tried to uh you know create you know good songs that were memorable and catchy but still aggressive and dark and haunting and I think we went more for feeling more than anything else back then. And, you know, we, we were still feeling our way. Right, Bob? It took us a, a couple of records before we kind of. <laughs> yeah, it about, took about. Um, Ten. <laughs> but uh, and then yeah. the other song that you mentioned, Those Left Behind. I mean, that's an awesome song. And, and you know, it, it's uh, a testament to the album, too, that it doesn't feel like just 10 of the same song you know the those left behind is more of like an epic it's got those really yeah. cool like pinch squeals and things like that so i think that that's uh, like a showcase of the guitar prowess and in that one more the leads and things like that are the hook and the the part that's memorable versus into everlasting fire has you know that uh that kind of call out those lyrics but having something to be able to latch on to you know is really uh, a special yeah. thing yeah, oh absolutely so. and you're right i think you can see just how much the songwriting progressed just from like some of the demo songs to those couple later songs we mentioned, you know, those, you know, Everlasting Fire and those up behind. There was a difference. There was a, you know, definitely, I, you know, your songwriting evolved just in that period of time, you know, Bob, <laughs> just from those songs to like Everlasting Fire, those up behind totally. And did the song Immolation come before you changed your name to Immolation? And that's what you named yourself after? Or did you change your name to Immolation and then write a, an anthem for the band? Um, Immolation was the first song that Bob wrote. And he actually, that was the first song I learned. He came over and he's like, hey, you know, uh, what happened was Andrew, the singer, bass player of Rigor Mortis, left Rigor Mortis. So initially they... 
they approached me to kind of join rigor mortis, you know, as a bass player. And uh, I, I wasn't initially going to be the singer. So that's kind of how that went down. And then, you know, Bob came over my place, you know, the first time to show me this couple songs. And the first song was immolation. So that was the first song I learned. And yes, we were rigor mortis at that time. And we changed the name. I think, we changed the name of the band and then the song came afterwards. I believe uh, the time, I mean the lyrics and the title of the song, we had the music. We just didn't have the lyrics yet. I don't believe I remember writing the lyrics to that song, like two weeks before our first show, when we played that show in Blondie's Bob, it was one of these things where like, they were like, all right, well, you're going to be the singer. Is that cool? And I was like, all right, I guess so. <laughs> so I had to like, you know, write the lyrics and, you know, learn how to like play bass and sing now. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of like crazy, like at that point for me. But uh, yeah, I think the name, um, the name came changed. Obviously, like once we started writing the new material, we realized, yeah, the material is completely different than the Ring of Mortis stuff. We probably should change the name. We'll be back after a quick break. If you love good music and good podcasts, you'll love Roots Music Rambler. I'm Jason Falls. My co-host Francesca Folinazzo and I talk to the singers, songwriters, musicians, and more in Americana, alt-country, bluegrass, folk, blues, and beyond. We share our own takes on the latest news in the space and recommend new music for you to explore every episode. Come get to the roots of the music you love. Find us at RootsMusicRambler.com or go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Roots Music Rambler. The album being called Donna Possession, of course, I know there's a song on the album called that, but why was that chosen as the title? And what does that mean to you? To us, it just fit the record. It was, it was the second song we wrote, I guess. Uh, it just seemed to be the one that worked best for the album title. You know, you know the whole, you know, the, just the dawn of everything going on that was uh, basically being addressed in that record. So I guess that's why, you know, sometimes we just kind of look at a song or song title or, or phrase that kind of, I guess, culminates everything that the record uh, is, you know, everything that's kind of on the record. So it just, it, it just worked. Yeah, it worked. It was almost like the dawn represented the beginning and this was kind of like a, a beginning for us, you know, so it, it kind of had meaning to us in that sense. And it was just a dark title, you know, and we thought it was like, it was a great, at the time we were like, wow, that's a sick title, you know, and the visual we kind of, came up with for that album cover worked with it so perfectly you know because you know having the dawn in the title you know we pictured that scene on on the album mm -hmm. cover so and I, andreas translated it so perfectly you know to the canvas you know it looked i mean he did an amazing job so yeah so the title really you know and and the artwork came together perfectly you know and i thought it was, we all thought it was like perfect fit for the record you know and we wanted something that sounded cool too you know <laughs> It's definitely hard as hell. So I don't want you to think that I'm questioning. I think that you made the right choice. I just no, didn't know. No, 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 no. It, totally. it seems like the, the lyrics on here are uh, a little bit more uh, thought out than maybe some of the uh, the death metal lyrics of the time also. So I didn't know if there was maybe like a, a, a deeper meaning for you. And I was always a lyric guy. I always I was the kid who would you know buy a record and open it up, put on the headphones and listen to it and read along with the songs and, you know, just read all the lyrics and absorb them and read them over and over again until I knew them. So I was always a lyric guy. You know, I always loved reading what bands had to say, what the message was and the music, you know, and and, you know, hey, some bands, you know, there's nothing that deep going on there, but it still makes for cool music and, and, and interesting lyrics. I'm not saying everything has to be very deep or anything like that, but we just try to, you know, 
put a lot into our lyrics because they were very important to us, you know? So, you know, you kind of saw some of that in Dawn of Possession, but I don't think you really saw it until here and after and, you know, the later records after that, because that's when we really kind of locked into, you know, what we wanted to say. And, you know, it was easier for us to kind of express it, you know, and, and that got easier over time. I mean, you know, we were, we were very green, like I said, during those days. So it was all kind of new to us, you know, we were kind of finding our way like everybody else, you know. And Bob, it seems like musically, you're kind of like the, the primary songwriter. So do you guys collaborate on lyric ideas and things like that? Since you're kind of coming up with the music, are you thinking of ideas for what the songs could be about when you're doing that? Basically, yeah, I think over the years, as time went on, it's like I started getting more into the, the lyric writing and, and, and helping Ross out. And, and I think, um, you know, the way it's been for the past few years now, a few records, uh, yeah, I write the music and then uh, Ross and I go over the stuff. And I think Ross, you know, he likes to have all the music done. So it's, you know, if I come up with one or two songs, he's not going to start thinking of lyric ideas for two songs. It's like, I, I think it's because just like me, when it comes to the album, I'm writing music and I like to, once it's done, I, I'm trying to write the songs to see what fits for the whole, you know? So I think that's how Ross looks at the, the lyrics. Like when you see a whole record, now that you have all the songs in front of you, now you can pinpoint what you want a song to be about and, and that. And he's always been good at like, you know, kind of like putting those ideas to the songs, you know? And, you know, sometimes I've done that too, but it's like, I think he's just, he's, he, he nails it. I mean, I think uh, and and a good example to what he was just saying is um, the new single we just put out. That was the last song Bob wrote for the new record. So I had an I had the idea for that song, the whole process. Well, not most of the process, not the whole process, because he started writing these songs back in like 2018. But the idea for Apostle came probably during 2020 sometime. And um 2020 early 2021 and uh, it wasn't until he delivered that last song that i was like wow this song musically fits this idea this concept like i guess i could have made it work in the other songs but it just wasn't feeling it It's, it's hard to explain but when that when that apostle came out came to me and he sent it an email he would like create a demo and send it to us i heard that i was like wow this is it this is this is the song we're gonna write this concept for you know so so that's how it works i need to hear everything as a full complete piece before i could start saying okay this song will be for this idea you know and you know sometimes i have a wealth of ideas beforehand Sometimes not so much, you know, we've gone into the studio where I've only had a couple ideas and then, you know, Bob will jump in and we'll just kind of brainstorm. But I think the lyrics have gotten stronger since Bob jumped in because now it's like, you know, we have the same vision, but it's, we're coming at it from two different perspectives. So I think creatively it works better for us. And I enjoy the process more that way because I have someone to throw my ideas at and he could throw his ideas at me. Nobody's judging. You know, if I like it, I say, yeah, that's cool. Or that's mint, you know, or if, or, or if I don't I say, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of cheesy, whatever, move on, you know, and he's cool with that. And he'll say the same with, with me, you know? So, and I think that's why it works so good with us together. I think the lyrics have gotten stronger and stronger over the last uh, course of, of the number last couple of albums, rather because uh, of that collaboration, you know, in the beginning, like, you know, you know, it was getting harder and harder for me as the albums went on to say something fresh, you know, about something we've already talked about like a lot of times, you know, so 
believe me, there was a wealth of inspiration to find new things to talk about. But yeah, you kind of paint yourself into a corner. So I think around Unholy Cult, we started to kind of shift direction lyrically. Um, and that's, I think, around the time when Bob got more heavily involved in the lyric in the right lyric process. And, you know, I think you could see the difference in the lyrics from that point forward, you know, and uh, I, I think it makes for a stronger lyrics, you know, and it, you know, it's a it's a fun process, too. So I understand what you're talking about as far as, you know, like you can even see, especially with the the compilation of the the Stepping on Angels, that the songs on Donna Possession in the order that they're in, the way it flows and everything, it's an album, right? It's not just a collection of songs. It's an album that all go together. There's 10 songs, very uh, sure. cohesive and, and fit together. Then, like you said, the artwork perfectly ties in. You can kind of visualize that while you're listening to it. I mean, it's a it's a complete package. And I think that's a another important special thing that makes it stand out. Yeah. And that's another thing, you know, the aesthetic is important too. Um, we've tried really hard, especially with the last album and this new album. I mean, we, we try with all the releases. I mean, you know, and now moving forward to the new record, you know, we have, uh, you know, Illoran Cantor doing the cover piece, which is sick. It's like amazing. It's like one of our darkest covers, you know, and we have uh, the guys from Triple Sace, you know, uh, designs doing the uh, the interior pieces, you know, so you know, it's, it's visually, it's a really cool looking record. The aesthetic is sick, you know, and that's as a fan, as a music fan, you know, I'm still that 15 year old kid, you know, when you buy a record, you still want to open it up and look at it. And, you know, if there's cool artwork in there and there's all sorts of cool stuff to look at, I love that. I'm still like a big child, you know, like that, you know, so. Yeah, it's got to be fun to just see that come to life, piecing all these things together. It sounds like you're working with multiple artists and then get to have to yeah. hold it in your hand. Yeah, yeah, it 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 is cool. I mean, we're uh, we've gone out of the critical listening phase, you know, where you listen to the music very critically for months and months and you overanalyze and overanalyze and then you're listening to mixes and it seems like it's never ending and you just get so sick of hearing the song, you know, you're like, "Oh, man, I don't even want to hear this anymore." But then when it's done, you have that period where you could kind of step away from that and now we could just listen to the songs and enjoy them now, you know, and listen to them more as, as fans and not be as critical, you know, and, you know, ease up a bit, you know, and now we can enjoy it, you know, and be like, ah, oh, okay, it's not so bad. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, we talked about the artwork, but who came up with the immolation logo, like that actual font? We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your, in your little, you mean? Yeah, yeah. We all, we all artists over here, man. I'm trying, oh, yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying, oh, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. yeah. Damn, me, me. Yo, look, 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 We all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We going to have this, like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kai, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I gotta lie, don't play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit. Well, initially, um, our drummer, our our early demo drummer Neil Bobek, he he's the one that came up with the original one, but it was completely different than you know, it's the one that appears on the first demo, so it's a, quite different, but. Over time, uh, we had people kind of take a, uh, was it uh, Renato Galena? Is that correct? Yeah. Yep, he did yep. the first kind of, he did the first different version of it. 
Um, and then uh, Mark Mastro, I believe, did yep. the, the yep. what you see today. So we had like it went through a couple of different uh, phases, you could say. Uh, but our drummer Neil, original drummer Neil, had actually done, like I said, the original take of it. But these guys kind of made it a little bit more, uh, you know, solidified what it needed to be. I guess you could say. Yeah, Renato was in uh, that band Disembowelment from Australia, and he, I, we were pen pals, and I forgot how it came came to be, but he just kind of took the the logo that Neil did on the first uh, demo, and he kind of just sent us a version that was similar to what you see now, um, just a little different, a little, little fancier or whatever. And then uh, our friend Mark Mastro, who uh, played in Rotrevor, um, who we met in Pittsburgh back in the 80s, um, super cool guy, but he was a graphic designer and he kind of, you know, took that logo and made the logo that you see now, you know, the old logo. So um, that's the one we still use. We've used it this whole time. We like it. I think it's a, it's a ver- sick looking logo. It's really cool, you know? So yeah. We've used it uh, since the 80s. <laughs> yeah, the logo is iconic and definitely just as important, if not more important than any album cover, because it's on every album cover. So, you know, it's important yep, that you yep, have something. Not every cool. album. <laughs> but yeah, we, we skipped a few. I mean, we had more of a text logo for a few. And, uh, you know, the fans, you know, are bitter at, at us for doing that. It didn't change the band. I mean, it didn't affect the, the sound of the band or anything like that. But the fans are bitter, as you know, because they like the logo. And I get it. But you know, aesthetically, the the old logo didn't work on some of those pieces. You know, just the way that logo is designed, and and Bob, you know, is is constantly gets frustrated, like laying out for us. Yeah, you know, it's a pain in the ass to get this logo right and to put it so it doesn't step on the artwork and things like that. So you know, these are factors the fans don't think about sometimes. But uh, but at any rate, you know, it's back on the records and the fans are happy, so <laughs> we're happy. <laughs> well, yeah, like you you said, even yourself, you know, you were a, a big fan of getting those albums. I'm sure if a band, you know. Sure. Well, but you, I mean, that happens all the time, too. I'm saying if a band did that, but bands do do, do it and then the fans sure. get upset and then they eventually get used to the new look. I mean, look at Metallica. I remember when uh, that like Ninja Star looking logo first came out and everyone hated it. Now yeah. I see people with it tattooed on them. So it's yeah, I don't know. Give me the uh, old school. <laughs> <laughs> see, you're, you're part of the problem. I know. I know. I know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So this is the only album that comes out on Roadrunner, but of course you guys continue to put albums to this day. So why was this the only release with Roadrunner? The first album came out. We were green as hell because we were all young guys in our early 20s. Um, our, our first big step into the music business in a big way. You know, we were touring, you know, we were going to Europe, we had a record out and, you know, we were disillusioned because we were so green. We felt like, okay, once we get the record out, you know, you know, the label will do this for us and they'll do that and they'll help us do this. And it wasn't really like that. You know, we had to do a lot on our own still and we were very DIY. So that wasn't a problem, but uh, we just got disillusioned real quick. And that was, that was on us. And uh, after the first record, <laughs> we, we called up Monty and we said, Hey, Hey, you know, can we have a meeting with you guys? And like, Oh, sure. Come on down. So we, we took the trip down to uh, their old office on uh, Lafayette street in uh, lower Manhattan over there. And we, we, uh, we met with them. We sat down with them at the big conference room table. And we're like, so listen, guys, we're not really happy here. You know, we know we signed a, you know, a seven album deal with you guys, but we're not happy. And we just don't want to be on the label anymore. And we're just not going to write any music if you don't let us out of the contract. And they let us out of the contract. <laughs> so it was, it was so funny. So Monty still busts our balls about that to this day. He's like, you're the only band we ever did that to because you guys were so disappointed. And, you know, and it was us. And we know we've had this talk a million 
million times uh, since then. And, and we, we have a good laugh out, out of it today in retrospect. But back then, yeah, we were just not happy. We, we just felt like they should have done more for us. Or they could have done more for us. But that's, you know, we realize that's just an artist thing. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, you're always, you always want the label to do more for you or to work harder for you. So I don't think that ever ends, you know. But since we were so young and, and just uh, not really um, didn't know how the industry worked, you know, so we were disillusioned right out of the gate. So, uh, you know, not taking anything away from Roadrunner, it was, it was a fucking fantastic label. I mean, you know, they put yeah, out no, a lot of huge releases. I mean, you know, uh, we were happy we signed with a Roadrunner just because, you know, we can get some you know, like King Diamond stuff, you know. <laughs> we were like huge King Diamond fans. So Roadrunner was like the dream label for us. But so we were the ones who dropped the ball in that whole situation. And and we we realized that, you know, after that, you know. but. uh Anyway, it, you know, things happen for a reason. You know, we move forward. We, we signed with Metal Blade after that and put out a bunch of records with them. And we just kept moving forward. You know, we, we, we tried not to look back, you know, so we made a lot of stupid mistakes um, throughout the years. And hopefully we learned from, from most of them, <laughs> you know, so we don't repeat them. So that was the reason. Yeah, because uh, we asked to get out of our contract. That's why we didn't fulfill the rest of our contract. And they and they graciously let us go without any legal problems or anything like that. And mm -hmm. uh, in retrospect, we were fortunate that they that they did that. They could have said no, and we would have had to release records for them. But I think at that point, our hearts probably wouldn't have been into it. It would have felt like something that would have been forced, or we would have begrudgingly have done it. You know, so I think it was the best case scenario. And I think they saw that when we went down there, <laughs> we were not happy, and and they were probably just like, you know, just just let them go. <laughs> You, know, type of thing. <laughs> you must have something on one of them because between them flying you to Germany and then them also releasing you from your contract, there's yeah. something that you know that they don't want out because there's no way that they would do that. Yeah, anybody. yeah. It's like you got well, some just, dirt on them. <laughs> there's just something wrong with us when they're just like, just send them to Germany. Just just let them go off the label. Forget it. <laughs> right. You know what? I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, maybe they were like, oh, thank God they went off. What was something that happened between you going from being like, oh, we're not even a band that thinks that we're going to sign a record deal to being like the record label should be doing more for us? Was there like a tour you went on and you interacted with another, you know, veteran band that was like, hey, you know, really you more know, should be happening for you? I think it comes down to like, you know, we, we, we never expect to do it. And then once we got there, we were like, it was almost like you're like, oh, we're signed. We, you know, almost like not we made it, but we're like, oh, we, we got to that level of like, wow, you know, you know, things are going to happen now. But then we quickly realized that it's like, no, you just have to work that much harder now. <laughs> you know, it's like it was yeah. a, different, a different thing. So it was more about that, more like, like, you know, I guess we expect, like, for instance, we did this, you know, we were lucky enough to get on that, that tour in Europe, uh, our first tour in Europe with uh, Massacre and Morgoth. I believe because uh, devastation from Texas, I yes. believe, had yes. to leave the tour. So the timing worked out. They put us on this tour. So the first tour we ever did was in Europe on this really cool tour. And that year was like one of the biggest tours in Europe. It was amazing. So then we're like, all right, let's do more of this. And then the, the label was like, well, you know, there's nothing going on. Get a new, get another record done. And we're like, another, you know, we were like, we just got this one done. We've been doing demos for years. Yeah. Like, you know, we wanted to. That's right. So, so then we said, nah, well, look, we're going to, we booked our own tour. So we got, you know, we ended up, Russ and I booked like a whole tour for the U.S. because we wanted to do That's a U.S. Right. tour. That's so, right. So we got caught up in that. And then after that, then we started maybe, you know, working on stuff. But again, it's like, uh, like Russ said earlier, we just kind of like thought things would be different, I guess. And then 
we realized over the years that's like no it's like once you get to that point now it's like now you really got to work you know so it was just a different you know it was our it was on us like Ross said it was just we had a different idea of what, how things should be I guess you know or, or you know what we expected that they would be it was a business thing we were just yeah. like not nah, now nah, we now nah, we don't want to do this anymore with these guys let's you know let us go and we'll just look for another label that maybe you know you know whatever we just i guess what it came down to is like we just didn't think they believed in the band we kind of felt that so we were just like you know you know maybe it's not a good idea to be with them because if they don't believe in us then they're not really going to push us and we believe in us you know you know more than anybody else so if they don't and they're they're the the people trying to facilitate that then what's the point (laughs) so i think that's what it came down to and you're right bob it was that tour because they wanted us to after the european tour they're like all right you guys get in get in the studio and you know start working on a new record and we were like we got to tour the U.S. <laughs> you know, we like we waited well, our whole lives to put out a record. You fucking right. We're going to tour then, the U.S. You know, in retrospect, you know, it's like, you know, Monty was absolutely right. It's just like it he realized what was going on. And he's like, look, if you're going to get momentum, get the next record done quick. You know, so so what happens, you know, five years later and after leaving the label, you know, yeah. it took us five years to get a record out, which is like the last thing you want to do is put your second record out five years after your first record. Yeah. So you so know, he was completely correct. It was just that we just envisioned like oh no we got to go on tour we got to do this you know so yeah you know my everything monty told us and you know what he tried the way he tried to steer us was all sound it was all perfect you know what i'm saying it was all good advice you know but just that we were just like you know we saw things differently because we were young and we were just you know (laughs) you know how it is when you're that age you know better you're like now this is what we're gonna do you know and we were stubborn so that's what it came down to you know so but uh yeah, I mean, that's, but we, yeah, it did come down to that tour. We, you know, we were like, now we're going to do a tour. And we, like Bob said, we booked that tour ourselves. We booked like like month and a half, almost two months throughout the whole United States on our own. We made that happen. We took out Gorephobia, you know, so that was like technically Alex's first tour with us, <laughs> even though he wasn't in Gorephobia in, in, in that <laughs> band anymore. He yeah. still came on that tour with us. So, so it's kind of like full circle. Now, Alex is a guitar player in our band now. And, you know, he came on that first tour with us. So a lot of weird little coincidences in the immolation world. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That full circle type things, you know? Well, speaking of touring years later, when you guys are touring, you end up employing one-time Roadrunner Records artist, Contra Cult Collective's Travis, to be your front of house guy. Can you tell me <laughs> about uh, how he became into the fold and, and times with him? Uh, well, Travis was obviously playing with Black, Black Anvil. We were on that Mayhem tour uh, with uh, ourselves and Black Anvil. And uh, that's when we got to know the guys. And um, yeah, you know, he had mentioned, I guess, you know, uh, our sound man at the time, he saw that things were looking a little shaky. So he just basically, you know, he had experience doing that. And he just said, look, if anything happens, just, you know, I'll be more than happy to to fill in if needed. And we're like, eh, no, nah, it should be fine. So, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> six shows toward the end of the tour, you know, our sound man disappears and goes home. And we're just like, all right, Travis, uh, yo, can you uh, do this? And he was like, you know, generous enough to do it. And uh, yeah, it was great. He did a great job for the last last six shows of that tour and then he actually ended up doing a few other things with us you know before he got you know he's just busy with his own stuff but he was nice enough to come with us on a few different trips like uh we went to india and he came with us there um 
trying to think. What South other? America. Came, came in South, South America. America. Yeah, he did yeah, a South yeah. America run with us. Uh, so he did a few different things with us. Yeah, a couple uh, of festivals. Front of house and yeah. a couple of festivals. So, you know, it was awesome. It was it was it was great. And he's yeah, you know, he's a great sound man. He's great. A uh, great person to have around. So I mean, it it was awesome, you know. So that was very cool. So yeah, thanks, Travis. <laughs> yeah, we hit it off with those guys immediately. Uh, Black Anvil uh, and us were on that mayhem tour, like Bob said. And uh, yeah, from like the first show, like we met those guys, felt like we knew them forever. All those guys were awesome, you know. So we all clicked, you know. So we became like fast friends. We all helped each other out, you know. So. It was cool because Travis was like, hey, you know, he kind of dropped that hint. Like, you know, you know, I do sound. So if you guys run into an issue, I, I I would love to step in. So as Bob, you know, said, you know, it came that we needed him to step in and he was gracious and, and stepped in and he killed it, man. He did a great job. He was awesome to work with. And yeah, Travis, you know, Travis is awesome, dude, man. So it just worked out great, man. And we were happy to have him. You know, we had him out on those trips like to India. We did like a festival in India. So, you know, it was a crazy trip for all of us. So I'm glad he got to experience that with us it was a really awesome experience and we did the a couple of shows in south america which were awesome man he he, he killed it man I, I, we had people coming up to us so many times on those shows and those festivals saying like man you guys sounded great you know and we'd say hey there's the man right there <laughs> so so it was cool man I, I mean i wish he he could still do it with us and still come out and uh you know work with us but uh like bob said you know he's 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 busy with contra cult and he's doing well with that and you know so awesome we wish him the best yeah, man yeah, absolutely travis the man <laughs> there's some people who you know that it, it's just they're not good travelers you know what i'm saying yeah. they don't work well in these situations because it's it can be grueling man the flights are in as long as hell and yeah. airport grizzles and just uh, you know it's a fail, dude, you know, especially like something like when we do South America, like you're flying like every day from show to show. And man, that's that could be taxing on the mm -hmm. best of us. So but uh, Travis was a champ, man. Super yeah. pro. I uh, took it in stride. Never any issues, man. Yeah. I, and you he's know, very, he, very personable. And, and he's a exactly, he, he, you know, yeah. he works, you know, he would work a local club. So uh, as yeah. well. So he when he went to clubs, whether it be in South America or the guys in India or whatever. He, that's what he does too so it's like you know he he got along with everyone so well and was yes. so personable with everyone and, and and made it easy on them too you know what i mean so so yeah it was just a pleasure and it was always great bob what is something that you would do differently with donna possession maybe use a, a click track <laughs> yes <laughs> there's, there's some waviness going on there on that yeah. album but yeah. you know but that's old school so that's okay <laughs> but it, yeah. it's there it's definitely there especially when it's so funny because everyone that tries you know uh, you know, from Bill, who was our guitarist for many years, to Alex now, and then obviously Steve playing drums. Like every time we try to play some of those old tracks, you know, the certain parts here and there when you're playing to the record, because, you know, we'll practice on our own. So yeah. um, before we get together. So, the, yeah, you know, that one part, the timing's so weird. And, you know, because granted, it's just we're human, you know. So when you're you're recording an album and you don't have a click, if, you know, and this stuff is crazy. So, you know, yeah, there are some, you know, waves in the uh, in the tempos that you know that weren't meant to be there but they are there you know so when you're trying to play along with it it gets a little crazy so maybe that would have been you know the the, the thing but but would i change it probably not because that's what makes it special so you know yeah it's a, a good answer that because i was like i don't know what i would change and you were like click track i was like oh <laughs> good answer yeah yeah you could totally hear those fluctuations no doubt you know and yeah. i you know you become more aware of them like as the years go on and you're like 
yeah, let's bring this song back into the set. And you start practicing along to it. You're like, whoa, what happened there? So it's funny. Back then, we we didn't know. Harris probably knew. He probably could tell right away. But well, he Harris knew. Boy, Harris was there. Yeah. He did what he could to mend a few things here and that, there, but you know, yeah. technology yeah. only went so far back in that day. <laughs> that, was, that was that was two inch tape back then. That's that we're going back a ways. Even That's right. No, no digital to tape, and he was trying to pull it apart to get it in time. I don't know what yeah. he's doing. <laughs> so yeah, none of the digital fanciness we have today for sure. Yeah. So, so yeah, if you screw it up apart, guess what? You were playing that over and over and over yeah, until yeah. you got it right. If you didn't get it right, you played the next day. <laughs> So yeah. you better come in practice and, and we're rehearsed. This <laughs> is true. So Ross, what's uh, your favorite memory of making the album or just this time period? You know, this 91, 92 era um, of your life. That album, that whole session was so unique and so cool from meeting Harris to like we mentioned earlier, the, the cool things he did with us and took us around to really see berlin but see real berlin not in a touristy sense like we got to meet like locals and hang out with his friends and go to different clubs and we got to see some shows and so i think that whole experience was like so cool for us you know and it was a good icebreaker and it was a good way to kind of get us out of the studio mindset because we'd be in that studio all day and then you know we like bob said we lived right there you walk down the hallway and then our apartment was right there on the same floor so you know, it was a nice way to kind of get us out of that environment. So it wasn't all work, you know, <laughs> you yeah. know all work, yeah, no yeah. play makes immolation, a bunch of failures, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so anyway, so that's, it was just, the whole thing was just a really cool experience. And, you know, just for us being in Berlin at that time was just so cool. You know, I remember, yeah. um, that uh the scorpion song um winds of change was like just yep. ubiquitous at the time right. I, like you heard it anytime you turn on mtv or or you heard it in taxi cabs or you know wherever you went you went to a store and the radio was on you heard that song so that's like the soundtrack to that album you know Ooh. session because that song came out at that time and it was such a you know heartfelt song about the you know the, the collapse of the iron curtain and it was just such yeah, a and there we were so it was like a cool you know, moment we in history area, so yeah it was very cool yeah so yeah man i can't really i can't express how cool that moment was in words it was just so awesome you know you guys have this new album coming out 30 years later 31 years later i guess technically what is something that dawn of possession connects to with it it definitely connects to dawn of possession in the sense of i guess maybe the feel in the sense that it's it's probably one of our more like um darker record not that they're, they're all kind of dark but this one just has a darker more haunting feel than the last few you know what i mean and i think that definitely makes that connection maybe the subjects and the, that are used that i guess has a lot of similarities to doing possession i guess you know but it yeah. definitely stands on its own it's 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 definitely extreme it's definitely intense you know uh but it's very haunting i guess that's a good word i'd use for it you know it has that haunting feel to it a lot of dark uh, uh, atmosphere on this one, more more so, I guess, than than what we've done recently. That's all I can describe it as. But I think it's just a, just a continuation of of what we do. Yeah, I think it definitely does connect to not only Dawn of Possession, but some of those earlier releases in the tone and vibe and um, the themes on on the new record. Um, thematically, it definitely harkens back to those to those earlier years. You know, it does. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, we've, yeah, we've had a lot of darker stuff, you know, and we, we try to go, like I said earlier, more for the feel feeling and, and vibe, uh, than technicality or anything like that. That's the most important thing to us. Um, and I think with this one, yeah, it's just, um, it's got that hopeless feel. A lot of songs are just very hopeless sounding and <laughs> just cool. Very like bleak. there's a very bleak. I mean, uh, just some very cool stuff. It's a very unique record in that way. Uh, it's a special record. Like when I, you know, when, we finally heard it finished and we were able to kind of listen to it less critically and, and give it a few rounds and, and, and listen to it together as a whole piece. You can say, wow, yeah, it works. You know, everything works together. The songs all work as, as one huge piece. Uh, they belong together, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, and yeah, it definitely has that, that vibe of the earlier stuff. Um, but it's definitely much better played much much better executed the arrangements uh uh are are solid the dy- the dynamics in these songs is just it's great i mean there's a lot of explosive parts there's a lot of heavy dirgy parts a lot of those uh layered parts that kind of make it seem like there's more going on than there really is and they just kind of add a real creepy vibe to a lot of the parts and i think that's what's cool about this like the new song we put out apostle there's like those chorus parts and that are just really creepy and haunting and that's what i loved about that song so much when i when i heard bob's demo i was like wow Those parts stuck out because they were really cool. And even the fast riff, the, you know, the main riff of the song with the main verses, it's just like a such an odd sounding riff because he's got two kind of alternating things going on that just together sounds like sounds like madness. If you could recreate like madness, <laughs> that's what it sounds like to me, you know, and I, I just loved it. So, yeah, there's definitely a very unique feel, like a darker, more sinister feel on this record. I think yeah. more so than our other records. Yeah, it's oppressively dark. <laughs> it is. It is. It's and the like artwork this. reflects that, too. It's yeah. like the artwork for the record really reflects that as well. So it ties in really well to the music and both, you know, both the artists created some really cool stuff for this. So. And I think, uh, you know, like Bob mentioned, the artwork, the, the cover artwork is like like we said, Elleran like nailed that, you know, and when we approached him, like when we were thinking about artists for the record, I, did we have the title at that point? No, I, cause I remember I was just kind of looking like trying to think we were just trying to brainstorm, trying to find an artist. And uh, I think yeah. we oh, had an yeah. idea for we the title, but once we solidified the title and, and Bob and I like started brainstorming the concept, like we had already chosen Illaran. We're like, this is the guy, you know, because we wanted something more classical feeling like that kind of old school, biblical Renaissance kind of vibe mixed with that almost dark surrealism of artists like uh, Bixinski, you know, from Poland, that really dark night, like nightmarish kind of vibe that was very abstract, but just sick looking. And, you know, Illaran had both of those elements in his pieces. And that's what we really wanted because the music was so dark on this one. We wanted the cover to reflect that. When we approached him, he was really excited because he was a fan and he was like, yes, like Dawn of Possession because we when we explained the concept to him, he's like, yes, he's like, I get it. He's like, like 
you know, not Dawn of Possession, but it's cool. You're capturing that vibe from back in those days. And I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about this. And like, he wanted to just run with it, you know, and yeah. uh, man, he was really excited b- about it. And then it got us more excited. Cause like, okay, cool. At least he's into, you know, into the idea, you know, and I mean, he was excited yeah. about it. So we were happy about that. And, and he, he sent us a sketch about two weeks in, Cause we didn't give him a lot of time. Uh, unfortunately, he only yeah. had a month to do this. So we sent him a very detailed list of, you know, what we were looking for tone. Um, you know, we kind of identified how the figures were supposed to look and, uh, and he loved the concept and he's like, I know what I want to do with this. He came up with the, with the, you know, the dark rays of light, um, the way they're touching the angels and almost like melting them. That was his idea. Cause originally we wanted the, the dark light to kind of like be burning them. And he's like, what if we did something like this? It would be really dark and just creepy and, and, and worked. And we were like, yeah. So anyway, he sent us a sketch like two weeks in, and it was just a black and white sketch. And man, we were like, wow, <laughs> that's going to look ridiculous yeah, when it's yeah, colored. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so we were happy like halfway through the process. And when we actually saw the artwork, we were like, wow, man, this this guy just knocked it out of the park. We couldn't even imagine it any better, you know, and that's that's good coming from us because we're usually real like picky about that stuff and we're very detailed about what we want. And I think that also helped him because he said, yeah, a lot of times I don't get this kind of detailed, um, you know, uh, d- sort of uh, directions on where to, of what you're looking for. I just kind of get a title. <laughs> so here you go, you know, so I can't even imagine that, you know, doing something like that. You, you have to have a real good vision and uh, a good imagination to kind of just take a title and to create something that, you know, fits in what the band's looking for without having a lot of input from the band. So we've always been like that. We've always been very um, over the top with that. Like, you know, our covers are all pretty much planned out. Like even the Dawn of Possession cover, like the placement of all those four little scenes on the cover, like we told him exactly how we wanted them. And he gave us a sketch, Andreas. He back then it was fax. There was no email. So he had to fax us a sketch yeah. and we had to make, we had to make a couple of adjustments because there were a couple of things on there that weren't what we were looking for. You know, you know, something the way he had the angels and the way yeah. he portrayed them. We were like, nah, let's not do that. Keep it more classic, more traditional, you know, and he nailed it, you know, but we were since the beginning though, we've always been very hands-on and very meticulous about what we want on our covers and how we want them to look. And we kind of try our best to translate that to the artists to make it easier for them. You know, it has connections to the earlier material, but it's, it's its own entity. It's kind of in a world all on its own, the new record. It's very unique. And just, it's, I think it's emulation at our best really. And that's kind of big words to say, but I, I believe it. I think that's kind of our best effort right there. So hopefully the fans think, you know, we could hem and haul all we want, but if the fans don't like it, then that's, you know, they, they, have the final call there That's so right. but, but at least we feel confident more so than we have on probably yeah. any release in the past we feel that we we did our best as yeah. we often try and do so i mean that's all we can do you know exactly. and hopefully you know everybody likes it what is it about donna possession that you like more it's just got a unique sound to i mean it's definitely i think every album if you look at every album that's just the way it is uh but that record obviously had its a very unique sound, a very unique uh, feel, and that's because of where we did it and who we did it with, and you know, that's that's just how it is. And it, it to me, it always even sounded better because at that time, the first few records were recorded on two-inch tape, so that record to me always sounded even more amazing when it was on vinyl because it's analog recording on you know on vinyl. It just had such a cool sound. 
But yeah, it's just a, and for us, just like most most fans that go back that far, it's like that was our first record. So of course it's it it has its special place, you know what I mean? Without a doubt. We love everything in our back catalog, but we also feel that what we're doing is really strong today. So, you know, that's all good for us, you know. I mean, we enjoy everything as equally, you know. But of course the first record has a special, you know, a special place without a doubt. It was just a moment in time that was very unique and special for us. Uh, the album came out great for the time and we were happy with it. The fans loved it. And, you know, we're fortunate that people still remember it and people still listen to it and people still want to hear those songs live. I mean, that's that's kind of cool. 30 years on. I never none of us would have expected that at all. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Really, truly. Yeah, I don't so, think we've uh, done one tour uh without playing a song off that record <laughs> you know at one point or another you know yeah um yeah you know which is cool and uh yeah we could still listen to that today and, and enjoy it you know and um, like i said it's just a special definitely a special release for us Thanks so much to Bob and Ross for taking us around the world and their process. And feel free to thank them in person because their new album, Acts of God, releases February 18th, 2022. And they start a North American tour that same day. Check immolation underscore band on Instagram for full dates. Maybe I'll see you there. Hey, let's meet up at patreon.com slash meetmeetpod for exclusive bonus episodes and discuss this little meetup further. And in fact, we can wear our matching shirts we get from meetmeep.bigcartel.com. And then we can tag each other on Instagram at meetmeetpod and leave a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for each other. Oh, man. I can't wait. In the meantime, I'm Ryan Rainbow. This is Meet Meep. And yes, that's the best that I could come up with. Bye.